second gospel lesson falls between the time that Jesus had told his disciples that one of them would betray him and tell Peter that he would deny him. It's their last night together. It's the night that we talked about on Monday, Thursday. It's their last meal together before Jesus' arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. The next three days would be a roller coaster ride for everyone, filled with every possible emotion. Jesus had gathered these apostles one last time in order to share the Passover meal with them. The men had no idea what lay ahead, but Jesus did. And he needed this time with them. Jesus had seen Judas as the hypocrite that he had become. And there's a warning for us that while our outward actions might deceive some men, there's nothing that can be hidden from the eyes of Christ. Jesus had done all that he could to rescue Judas from the dilemma that he backed himself into. At the table during this last meal together, we believe that Judas was sitting on Jesus' left side. The table would have been a U-shaped table with Jesus, the host, sitting or actually reclining in the center. And we believe that John, the disciple that the scripture said Jesus loved, was sitting on his right. And that Judas was seated on his left, and it would appear that, that Jesus would have been able by that to have had a private conversation with Judas. So he had to be resting right there next to Jesus in order for that conversation to take place. Now we know that traditionally the place on the left of the host was the place of the highest honor. It would, would have been kept for the most imminent friend. And we might assume that as the meal began, that Jesus had said, Judas, come over and sit next to me. I'm going to talk to you. Jesus was reaching out to Judas even in those last hours. But there's more. For the host to offer a guest a special tidbit of marshal from his dish, again, was a signal of special friendship. When Boaz wished to show how much he honored Ruth, he invited her to dip her marshal in his wine. T.E. Lewis, the the Lawrence of Arabia told how there were times when the Arab chieftains would tear off a piece of mutton from their own dish and offer it to him, showing their respect. Jesus' acts, his act was a special affection directed toward Judas, but Judas' heart had, had hardened, and he was unable to recognize Jesus' final appeal, and so Jesus said to him quietly to Judas, he said, go and do what you must do. And Jesus left the room. And our gospel lesson this morning begins with those words. When he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. Then Jesus went on to use the word glorified three more times in the next verses. Jesus said, if God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him himself. And will glorify him at once. There's a lot of glorifying going on. What was Jesus attempting to say to his disciples? In our service of evening prayer, we often read a portion of the Benedictus Domino, the Song of Praise, a canticle found in our Book of Common Prayer. And six times in as many verses, we read, Glory to you, we praise you. Glory to you, God of our fathers. Glory to you for the radiance of your holy name. Glory to you in the splendor of the temple. Glory to you, seated between the cherubim. Glory to you, beholding the depths. Glory to the Father.
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And with each verse we respond, we will praise you and highly exalt you forever. In this morning's gospel reading, we hear Jesus referring to, to glory being given to himself and to his Father. So what's that fourfold glory all about that Jesus is referring to? The glory of Jesus had come, and that glory was going to be seen on the cross. If there had been any doubt in Jesus' mind, it had been removed. Judas had gone from the group, and the cross was a certainty for Jesus. I, I think what we need to see here this morning is that the greatest glory in life is the glory that comes from sacrifice. In any war, the supreme glory belongs not to, not to those who survive, but to those who lay down their lives on the battlefield. History has shown us that those who have made the greatest sacrifices have received the greatest glory. So we see that glory was to come to Jesus when he made the greatest of all sacrifices on the cross. But we also see that in Jesus, God was being glorified. Now what was it that brought glory to God the Father? It was the obedience of God the Son. The best way for anyone to show their love and admiration for a true leader is to obey them. Children honor their parents by obeying them. Children honor their teachers by following their instructions. Jesus gave the supreme honor, the supreme glory to God because he gave him his supreme obedience, even unto death on the cross. Not, not only did Jesus glorify his Father, but God glorified himself. There's no glory like that of being loved. The supreme glory of God lies in the incarnation of the cross. Had God remained aloof and majestic, had he simply been serene and unmoved, untouched by the sorrow and pain of his son, men might have feared him. They might have admired him. But they might never have loved him. The law of sacrifice is not just the law of the earth, it's the law of heaven and earth. And it's the incarnation and the cross that God's glory is truly displayed. Jesus' glory had come. Jesus had glorified his Father. Jesus had glorified himself. And finally, God would glorify his Son in return. Jesus would be glorified on the cross. There was more to come. The resurrection and the ascension. And there still be more glory at the time of the second coming. The vindication of Christ would follow his humiliation. His enthronement would follow his crucifixion. The crown of thorns would become his crown of glory. I remember these words were spoken by Jesus to his disciples while they were still sharing that last meal together. But they still didn't know, they still didn't understand fully what was about to take place in the hours to come. Jesus said, Little children, I'm with you over this time longer. And then he went on to say, and you can't go where I'm going. The time was short. But if they were ever going to hear and understand his voice, this was the time. He was about to leave them. He was going on a journey, and they couldn't go with him. He was taking a road that he had to walk alone. But before he went, he needed to give them one last commandment. If they love one another, they said, love them. That's how they would bring glory to Jesus, and that's how you and I are meant to bring glory to Jesus as well. So what might we learn from this commandment this morning? 
Jesus had instructed them to love one another in the same way that he loved them. And how did Jesus love? How did he love his followers? How might we describe Jesus' love? Well, I mean, he loved his disciples selflessly. For most of us, it, it's natural to always have just a bit of self-interest in everything that we do. Even when it may be an unconscious reaction, we can't help but wonder, what's in it for me when we consider sharing our love with someone else? What, what am I going to get out of this relationship? Or even, so what do I feel if, if I'm rejected? Are we truly desiring to share our love with others, or is it our own happiness that we're seeking in our relationship with others? A couple of weeks ago, we had the, the gospel reading with Jesus and his disciples by the seashore. Remember that lesson? The men had been out all night in their boats, and they caught nothing. Jesus told them to cast their nets out on the other side of the boat, and then they caught more fish than they could haul in by themselves. They didn't help them to catch. Later, Jesus had a conversation with Peter, and three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and three times Jesus said, Lord, you know I love you. I got to think about that last week. And I realized I, I failed to mention something about that conversation that I believe is important. Can you imagine me forgetting something? Couldn't have anything to do with old age, could it? But I didn't remember. When was the last time that a preacher admitted they'd forgotten something to tell the congregation in their message? Well, I did. I'm going to make up for it. Because I believe it's important. I mentioned on more than one occasion that there are several words in the Greek that are used to express the word love. We have eros, the erotic, or, or sexual expression of love. There's the word philo, or thibio, brotherly love. The love that we might feel for friends and family members. And then there's that word agape which is that sacrificial love. It's a love that's offered with no strings attached. That's the kind of love that Jesus offered the world on the cross. It's the selfless love that Jesus is using here when he tells his followers to love one another as he's loved them. He uses the word agape. It's the kind of love that, that we've been talking about in our Tuesday morning study. It's also a word that Jesus used in his conversation with Peter in their dialogue by the seashore. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he used the word agape. But when Peter replied, <coughs> he said, Lord, you know I love you. But Peter used the word filio. Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him with no strings attached. Did he love Jesus more than anything else? Would, would Peter lay down his life for him as he said he would earlier? But Peter kept replying, Lord, I, I love you like a brother. Maybe that's why Jesus had to keep asking that question. Jesus kept asking Peter until Peter finally heard the real question and responded accordingly. And that's what Jesus was saying to his followers on this last night together. Jesus said, I've loved you with an agape love, and that's what I'm calling you to offer one another. Jesus was saying, I want something greater than brotherly love between my followers. He was saying, I want you to experience my selfless love among yourselves. And if you do, the world will take notice. Jesus' love was also a sacrificial love. There's no limits that Jesus would not go to for those who place their trust in him. There was no demand that could be placed on him that would not receive his attention. 
Jesus was willing to say, if love means the cross, then I'm prepared to go there. And he asked the same of his followers. Jesus said, I'll love you to death. Yeah. I believe that more often than not, you and I think that love is always is always going to bring us happiness. In the end, I still believe that it will. But love may also bring us pain <laughs> when it demands that our experiences cross. There's also a sense of understanding in Jesus' love. You know, you never really know someone until you've lived with them. When you only meet with a person from time to time and you only see them occasionally, you, you, you tend to see them at their best. I told the story before, but years ago when I was in seminary, the students were required to be in a small sharing group. Each month we would meet with our group with, with our mentor. The mentor was one of the faculty members whose task was to, to help us to grow spiritually as a group, as individuals. And each month we'd, we'd, he'd pose a question for us. It was time to cause us to look inwardly and think sometime about topics that we might not have thought about before. Or maybe a topic that we avoided thinking about in the past. One month we were meeting and our mentor said, where do you find it the most difficult to live out your Christian faith? Now think about that. Different ones thought, they offered different responses, but I remember a good friend of mine. After having thought for a few moments, he responded, it's at home. And I said, well, why is it difficult to live out your faith at home? He thought for a minute and said, because they see me in my underwear. <laughs> Come on, what do you mean? What was my friend attempting to say? He was saying that those that see us every day, day in and day out, those that really know us, those who experience our various moods and witness our irritabilities and our weaknesses, those people really know who we are. They know who we are when we take off our mask. The mask that we may wear in public. But they're the ones who really know who we are. But Jesus knows each and every one of us, and he still loves us. It's not a blind love that may end up in, in utter disillusionment. But it's open-eyed. His love's not based on what it might imagine a person to be. But rather what and who we really are. And thank goodness. Jesus' heart's big enough to love each and every one of us, warts and all. Finally, Jesus' love is a forgiving love. Judas would betray him, Peter would deny him, and all the others would run, up, run away at his hour of need. And up until this point, they still didn't understand him. They'd proven themselves to be blind and insensitive. They were slow to learn. So what was it love? But Jesus held nothing against any of them. There was no failure that he could not forgive. You see, Jesus knows that without forgiveness, there could be no enduring love. Love without forgiveness will ultimately shrivel up and die. Do nothing else. So Jesus told his followers, those who would, those who would have to carry on after he was gone, that they were to love one another as he loved them. Ron Studenty, many of you know him, spent more than a year with me at St. James before he was ordained and sent as a priest to St. Justin's, uh, Justin's in, in Canton. And I remember Ron used to say, what, what am I going to do when I go up there? What about making mistakes? You know, I'm new at this. I told Ron more than once, I said, just love the people. You know, he'd say, what am I going to do? And I'd say, don't worry so much about what you might do, about making 
since that change, but Lord knows I've certainly made my share of mistakes through the years, and unfortunately I still do. But I hope that my love for God's people has helped me to overshadow some of those mistakes. Jesus tells us that our love for one another should be selfless. We needn't worry about what we're going to get out of that relationship. We're just to put others first in our lives. Our love should be sacrificial. We need to be prepared to follow Jesus to Calvary if need be. We should be understanding with our love. We may not know everyone as well as, as Jesus knew his disciples, but we're called to love them with no strings attached, just the same. Seems difficult at times to know exactly how to, to express that love. In some sense, Jesus was telling his disciples that the world would come to judge Christianity by the way that Christians would love and care for one another. So may you and I strive in all that we do to love one another as Christ has loved us. And in doing that, may we also bring glory to God in all that we do. I tend to end many of my prayers by saying, may all that we do bring praise and glory to your name because I truly believe that's what you and I are as we continue our worship together, and as we continue to celebrate this Easter season.